Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. You're listening to the Revenge of the Birds podcast, part of the SB Nation Podcast Network, hosted by Blake Murphy 7 and Johnny Touchdown, all about your Arizona Cardinals. Hello and welcome in. This is the Revenge of the Birds podcast. We are broadcasting to you on a Wednesday night. We are just about eight days before the NFL draft of 2020. Uh, by the time you hear this, it will be exactly seven days out, one week. We are here to talk about your Arizona Cardinals. Uh, the possibilities tonight will be going over a little bit of the comments Steve Kime made today. They had the uh, press conference over Zoom, which is the, uh, I have to say, it's a first. The second thing that we have is the uh, focusing on just kind of some of these seven-round mock drafts for the Arizona Cardinals. What are some of the players, the hall, some of the needs they could look for? Uh, Jai and I go back and forth for some of that tonight. But before I get any further, at least for that one, I'd like to introduce the co-host to uh, my at Blake Murphy 7 He is the at Johnny Touchdown, Mr. John Venerable. Uh, John, how are you holding up there amidst the coronavirus craze? You know, I'm doing well, Blake. The uh, the coronavirus right now takes a backseat to all of the mock drafts and projections for the Arizona Cardinals at pick eight. I cannot keep them straight. My head's about to explode. Uh, every day, it's seemingly different. You and I hear one thing uh, in our DMs and then through our text messages and then something else comes through. We've gone through, I think, 30 days, not only of quarantine, but of mock drafts. So, you know, it's it's uh, very fitting that we're recording this roughly a week before the NFL draft. And I, you know, I'm very tempted. I won't do it because I have no self-discipline, but I'm very tempted to stay off social media and Twitter specifically until maybe next Wednesday night when we have a maybe a clearer picture or maybe it'll continue just to be a hot mess of projections, Blake. Yeah, John, it's very much the heart of what we call lying season. There's obviously a few gems of truth that you can find, but it's really up until the last few days before the draft that we know the reality of it. Uh, as I know we talked a lot last year, it was pretty obvious from the get-go what the Cardinals were going to be going in a different direction than we expected. We were debating about Bosa versus Quinn Williams for probably about two whole weeks, thinking we'd debate it for a whole three months, and Instead, Kyler Murray mania took over, and that is the direction the Cardinals went. This year, they are picking eighth in the NFL draft. A little bit less, I think you can say, intrigue than having the number one overall pick, just because the Cardinals were moving off of a 
former first-round pick in quarterback in Josh Rosen. Um, they still do have quite a few needs on their team. It's a team that went 5-10-1 last season, but it's not a team that necessarily has any glaring or outright needs. Uh, let's talk a bit about Steve Kime's press conference today. John, we've talked a lot about what Kime has done over the f- last few years, and what I think is very interesting is uh, Bruce Arians was kind of the guy who was known to, at times, lie straight to your face if you're the media. <laughs> He's like, I lie pretty good, especially when teams fa- talk to him about Logan Thomas. And it's like, is he a quarterback? He's like, yeah, he thinks he's a quarterback. You're like, oh, shoot, he slammed this guy. There's no way he's going to take him. Sure enough, he took him. On the other hand, Steve Kime is one of those guys who's much more likely to obfuscate the truth, much more likely to kind of drop maybe his opinion on some things, but it may not necessarily reflect fact. Uh, He's not one of those guys who's going to straight up lie to you. Like he even's like, hey, yeah, Johnny Menzel, great competitor, fun football player to watch. The Cardinals were obviously never taking Menzel in the 2014 draft. And uh, with some of the feedback that was there today, your typical, you know, deflects, answer, gives some great complimentary praise to a lot of different spots. Were there any takeaways, John, that you had from Kime's press conference that you found either noteworthy, that things that you maybe either doubted or things that you found were very much Steve Kime telling you how it is and maybe offering a little bit of a clue to the Cardinals plans in the next seven days? You know, not really. It was very much just let's, you know, do a Q&A quickly because we can't have a physical press conference. Uh, and, you know, he's never been one to show his hand, clearly. I mean, none of us foresaw them acquiring DeAndre Hopkins uh, after the end of the season. Everybody just assumed we'd uh, address receiver at the draft. Um, and there, kind went out and secured probably the biggest trade of the offseason. Definitely the biggest trade. And so when you think about, you know, the eighth overall pick, listen, I, I am not an advocate for taking C.D. Lamb or another wide receiver to eight. You know, I wouldn't be disappointed by it. It just wouldn't be my first choice. But, man, it feels like with each passing day, the, the likelihood of the Cardinals maybe taking a receiver in the first round is growing. Now, is it growing from, from 1% to 10%? Who knows? But he was not dismissive of that today. Say say what you want about that and, and whether or not it's – truly lying season, but I know a lot of people, Blake, within our DMs and on Twitter and, you know, any interaction we have with Cardinal fans, uh, it's a it's probably the most hot-button topic, uh, whether or not the, the Cardinals are still going to address receiver and take CeeDee Lamb in the first, even after acquiring DeAndre Hopkins, and Kime has not shot that down, um, and, and he could have today. He could have said, you know, we feel really comfortable with the receivers we have, kind of like when he was asked about you know, the center position, and he's like, and then he just went on to praise Mason Cole, which is great to hear. I think a lot of us are excited about what he can do as a former third round pick. But I, I think he was talking about when he, I think they're going to take a receiver at some point in the draft. And I think he's trying to cover himself because of the fact that, you know, you're projecting out whether or not they'd re sign Kirk and if Fitzgerald is truly year to year, maybe he's not back in 2021. Um, that was the biggest takeaway for me. It's like, oh, yeah, we're and basically, he said, like, we're still in that market we're, we haven't left that market just because we acquired CD lamb. And then of course, you know, naming the tackles by name, uh, I thought was interesting and starting with Andrew Thomas um, and Kime really loves positional flexibility talking about the nastiness of Tristan Wirfs and the fact that he could kick in the guard. Maybe the plan is for him to kick in the guard year one and play tackle down the line. 
Um, but you know, you and I have grown more and more fond, fondly of uh, Andrew Thomas, offensive tackle from Georgia, who seems to be like one of the the fastest risers here in the last what seven to ten days. Um, I think it was either Peter Schrager or another national media reporter basically saying like he and C.J. Henderson, cornerback from Florida, are slowly talking their way into or there's momentum uh, amongst league executives that they're going to go top 10. Um, Andrew Thomas, of course, can play left tackle, can play right tackle. I'm not sure if he could kick inside, but he's got positional flexibility, which is what Steve Kime loves. Um, he loves those those individuals who can cover several positions for him. He's taken multiple in the first round. Um, and so he's also, uh, that being um, Thomas, kind of DJ Humphrey's insurance if he were to flame out. So, um, again, those were just the two things that stood out to me because I think it's so relevant right now with just the national media talking about you know, Kyler Murray pushing for CeeDee Lamb. That was on multiple news outlets today. We're recording this on a Wednesday. Um, and then most of them shooting it down to say, well, yeah, they have DeAndre Hopkins. They need to fix the O-line. And Blake, we thought the O-line improved. I don't, I'm not as skeptical as, as others that they can continue to improve with the group that they have, but they did improve at the end of last season. And the national media didn't see that. What they saw was, this unit gave up the lead leaguing, what, 48 sacks, and Kyler Murray is the next Andrew Luck or Deshaun, or Deshaun Watson if they don't address the offensive line and so on and so forth. So I just think that right now it just seems like it's we're heading towards some kind of head-on collision with either an offensive tackle or CeeDee Lamb. That's just my gut feeling right now. Um, what did you take away from this presser? Anything similar or yeah, I think the biggest things that I had was I had two takeaways. One was uh, essentially humorous. The other was very much uh, relevant to draft status. The first one was uh, Steve Keim talking about how, uh, given the fact that he's at home now during the NFL draft season, um, he's at home with his three boys. Um, he's got his kids Carson and then Brady and then I have to remember at least for the other one at least for the but you know he's got three kids who are all named essentially after NFL players and NFL quarterbacks I, th- I think you can even say and uh, they've grown up quite a bit since the uh, Cardinals when he first came in in 2013 even to that 2015 season um, where we got to see some of his kids on all or nothing um, there was some of the at home life it's been five years since then. And they're old enough now, and their dad, you know, like father, like son, they're, he's talking about how they're crafting their top 15 picks or rewriting their top 15 boards and just kind of like uh, almost kind of like outdueling the dad. He even said, at least, they're just coming up to me and telling me that I'm trash. I'm just like, it's one of those things where he's like, and essentially, this is one of the, I guess, biggest maybe positives you can say about Steve Keim is that he's always been a very self-aware guy. And so for him to come up and say, oh yeah, my kids call me trash, and then to go on and say, and I'm pretty sure a lot of Cardinals fans would agree with him. You're like, woo, that seems that he's seen, you know, the angry tweets, he's read, you know, the articles, or, you know, God forbid he's read the comment sections. But it just was an interesting case to see how Kime's self-awareness in some cases is part of why we think the Cardinals have taken maybe more of an analytical approach, part of why they moved on, are looking like a team that's on the up. Now, 
to some, it may not sponge away in a lot of the sins that have happened, and certainly not until the Cardinals get more wins, I think, will much be forgiven. But at least I thought it was interesting to show that this isn't something that Steve Kime is blithely thinking he's doing a fantastic job, doing the best. It's not like he's sitting there like Bill O'Brien thinking what a great heist he pulled off getting rid of DeAndre Hopkins and getting to add a high-quality guy like David Johnson in return, when in reality, people are bashing that trade left and right. This is much more of a guy, at least who in some cases, I think, continues to show that he was humbled quite a bit by that 2018 season, John. Yeah, I mean, he's looking big picture, and that's important. You don't want to pigeonhole yourself uh, when you're rebuilding a team. You just want to go out and find the best players that are going to be around for hopefully the next same period of success, the next great era of Cardinal football. And if CeeDee Lamb is that player, if you identify him, like Kai mentioned today, the 8-10 to 10 blue chippers, right? Well, if that's the case, you ought to be able to sit there at pick number 8 and get one of those guys. Um, at the most, if you're going to trade down, you want to trade down only two spots. Or maybe when he was talking about those blue chippers, he wasn't including the three quarterbacks. So maybe, you know, there's more opportunity or a further opportunity for a trade down. So, you know, at the end of the day, they did what they said they were going to do a year ago. They really went BPA. Byron Murphy in the second uh, attested to that. You know, Andy Isabella taking multiple receivers. They felt like those were the best players on the board. You know, they could have stuck with Josh Rosen and tried to be competitive and force him on Cliff Kingsbury. And I do think Kingsbury would have elevated Rosen. And you could have said, we're going to go out. We're going to get a pass rusher like Nick Boser or a defensive tackle like Quinn Williams because, you know, we like the quarterback we have already, even though that Hopkins or excuse me, Hopkins, um, Kyler Murray would be an upgrade. We're just going to stick with Josh Rosen. And that would have been a disaster, right? So maybe, you know, my frustration around this is more around the protection of Murray. If I knew he was going to get good protection out of the group again this year and they built on that, it would be much easier for me to sit here and bang the drum for CeeDee Lamb. But I have to be, you know, comfortable with the idea that CeeDee Lamb this time next year, Blake, will probably absolutely, if they take him, be their second best receiver. And two years from now, he might be their best receiver. I mean, that's the goal, right? He's not going to make any money for the first five years of his career. And that's when you're going to be paying Hopkins big time money. So I get the passing of the baton. I get it to passing Lee. I just I want people to be careful because at the end of the day, I mean, Houston had him and they had another first round wide receiver in Will Fuller. And they still were not you know, winning championships. And what's the biggest knock on that team? They couldn't protect him. They couldn't protect Deshaun Watson. They had to go out and trade multiple first round picks for Laramie Tunsil. And they gifted Car the Cardinals Hopkins in the process to try to um, reacquire some of that capital. So, you know, I, I just I think that we're in a position now where we have to be honest with ourselves about what the Cardinals are and what they could be with said player. I think with a Tristan Wurst, with an Andrew Thomas, with a, a Jedrick Wills, they could become a top 10 offense with a, an elite right tackle. I think with CeeDee Lamb, I think that they would have a prolific passing game, but I also would still be concerned about growing pains with Lamb while also having a huge liability at right tackle year one or maybe year one and year two. So I'm, I guess the best way for me to phrase this, Blake, is who are you more comfortable with next year manning the position, assuming that the Cardinals go 
Lamb or an offensive tackle? Are you more comfortable with Justin Murray, Marcus Gilbert combination with CeeDee Lamb? Or are you more comfortable with Tristan Wirfs and Christian Kirk? And I would go with the latter, Blake. Yeah, I think that's definitely, uh, if you're going to put in what would be the biggest immediate upgrade for the Cardinals, uh, just looking at the team building, uh, I rewatched again, I know, some of the games from last season, and there were definitely growing pains that we did get to see from Justin Murray. We didn't get to see any of Marcus Gilbert, obviously, at all. If you take in a right tackle and plug them in right there, they're ready to go. Um, and if they are able to perform well as a rookie, that's a huge step up for your team and for your franchise because you're able to have a little bit more time to be able to have some of those deep targets. You're able to hopefully be just as effective in running the ball, and you're also going to be hopefully taking something that was essentially last year one of the bigger strengths that you had was the Cardinals were a team that even though they gave up quite a few uh, sacks on the season, it still wasn't as much of like they had a, as people would say, a poor offensive line. If anything, their run game that they shifted to after the first four weeks uh, and after Kyler was, he was leading the league in sacks after the first four games. And then all of a sudden it was like everything kind of tightened up. Some of it was probably just an adjustment by Kingsbury. Some of it may have been a light bulb going off in Kyler's head of being able to get rid of the football. A lot of it might have just been stopping some of the protections and saying, hey, if they're going to be blitzing, just send the hot route. We'll be fine on giving up the big play as long as you can get the ball out quick. And that may be part of Kingsbury's offense. But for me, what I think would be interesting is you would have then added, hopefully, a upgrade at right tackle while maintaining your other three veteran offensive linemen. We're talking about DJ Humphreys, we're talking about Justin Pugh, and we're talking about your right guard and J.R. Sweezy. And then potentially seeing either, if not an upgrade, at least no drop-off moving from the older A.Q. Shipley to the younger Mason Cole you would then be able to hopefully see a lot of cohesion. That may be a really big key to the Cardinals since essentially they've kept all of their players on offense uh, minus, uh, as we said, AQ before, and minus Demir Bird, the speedster. If Andy Isabella can step up in year two to be some of that deep fit, or if the Cardinals are able to find and bring in a rookie someplace to be able to be that guy, then you're talking about probably one of the, even from last year, it was one of the most improved offenses in the NFL. This may take it another step further by being able to cement that. Now, that said, there are a couple of drawbacks that would be very interesting as far as comfort level. And the first one that's probably the one that we haven't discussed as much, but even Steve Keim talked about today is due to the coronavirus, due to how much of sports is up in the air right now, it's very possible that we could see an NFL without an offseason at all, similar to the 2011 season where there was the lockout that happened, you could end up going through a lot of it and then having maybe two weeks worth of training camp, maybe not even preseason games depending, and having to jump right into an NFL schedule. We do not know what it's going to be like at all. We don't know if there's delays. It's going to be difficult for a lot of rookies to be able to jump in and be able to master the NFL playbook and to be able to get going. And that is going to be a concern, especially if your goal is to trot out a rookie right tackle uh, who's not going to really know what the scheme was, the play calls, and expecting him to beat out both a veteran like Marcus Gilbert, who's you know trying to make his way in the NFL and get paid and get some of those incentives, 
uh, who was also essentially their best lineman last year before he was lost to injury, and also Justin Murray, who they're high enough on to give a second-round tender to as well. So that's the thing that's, I think, most difficult. We've even had text conversations saying, hey, if they draft a tackle at eight, like maybe he doesn't start until like week eight, and that would be an optimistic way. It might be one of those cases where you look at a DJ Humphreys-type pick where he's sitting on the shelf. Whereas if you took a wide receiver, you're at least going to be seeing them get worked in because you're not having to, you know, necessarily bench said starter who's been there for their eight games. Now, granted, if an offensive lineman goes down, suddenly you've got a Bobby Massey-type situation right the back in 2012 where, boy, you're happy that you made that offensive line pick. But that's not something usually you bank on. And in that case of not having an offseason, I've seen some people have argued and said, hey, like, if the Cardinals had Lamb and they took him out of Oklahoma – Kyler Murray was out of Oklahoma. Just put the two of them together. You'll adjust quickly. It's like I get some of that argument as well. But like you said, John, it is one of those cases where it's a deep wide receiver draft. We're talking about through four rounds. It's a relatively deep tackle draft, but it does dry up a bit, probably around where the Cardinals' second-round pick would have been. And so from like you and I have talked about, it seems very likely that the Cardinals, in trading that second-rounder for DeAndre Hopkins, it does free them up to be able to essentially kind of take an offensive lineman if they want. If not for now, then at least maybe for a year in the future, even two years in the future, if DJ Humphreys has other injury problems or his contract dries up. Uh, or I should say his contract runs out. Uh, so uh, let's let's go and talk a little bit about some of that. Do you have any other thoughts, at least on that, as far as the tackle versus the wide receiver? Because some of these points that have been brought up, like someone even said the other day, like, hey, if the Cardinals draft Lamb, like, doesn't that mean that Kyler's not going to leave to play baseball for sure? And I started laughing because I was like, I mean, I, I don't think he's going to play baseball anyway, but that's almost like that would be like a punctuation mark, I think, on the entire affair. Uh, what are your thoughts, at least? Is there anything else you would have on leaning one side or the other? Or what we also at least haven't even talked about, John, that I think I'd love you to bring up is, what if one of these defensive players happens to fall to them and you could potentially end up walking away feeling like a victor by being able to add to your word, I should say your strongest weakness, however that sounds, uh, your greatest weakness on this team, which is your defense. Yeah, it's goodness. They're, they just they have too many options. Can we say that they have too many options at pick eight? Um, because I think as the days go by, I mean, is CJ Henderson going to go before Jeff Okuda? I don't think so. But is CJ Henderson going to go seven to Carolina? I mean, he's got crazy momentum right now. You combine that with, you know, we don't we don't care for his play on. I shouldn't say that. We just don't love him at pick eight uh, for the Cardinals. That being Derek Brown, but could Derek Brown go in that vicinity? Certainly, we're we're high on Isaiah Simmons, but you know he doesn't have a true position, and that might scare some conventional general managers w- within this draft. Sorry, I had to yeah. sneeze there. Okay, um, and so and so uh, seasonal allergies. I'm sure many people can relate. Outside of Arizona, where it's it's a dry desert air. Hey, we've got plenty of pollution over in here. I know a lot of people who moved up north and their allergies went away. So, <laughs> oh, they're very oh, very good. Well, everything's blooming here in Eugene, Oregon. So anyway, um, you know, at the end of the day, I, I I'm a firm believer that you know you continue to strengthen the offense and make that your primary weapon coming into this year and then you you patchwork the defense when you can I think Kime has done a good job of that in free agency but I mean I don't think there's one set player that could be available at pick eight 
that really changes their their stars defensively. I think the closest would be um, Isaiah Simmons, even over Jeff Okuda, because I think Isaiah Simmons has a has a projection. His best case scenario is better than even Jeff Okuda's best case scenario. I've seen Simmons comps to Ray Lewis and Brian Urlacher, and as much as I love Patrick Peterson uh, being Jeff Okuda reinvented, right? I would rather have Ray Lewis or Brian Urlacher. And and so you, you look at Simmons rushing the passer, defending the pass, tremendous sideline to sideline linebacker. I mean, he's the only one, if I could say, b- bang my fist on the table and say, you know, who could change their stars defensively? It would be him, but he's certainly not going to do that year one with the surrounding supporting cast. Um, what I will say is, you know, somebody like Tristan Wirfs can come in and be a, a tremendous weapon a cog on an already we think good offense and take it to great um and so that's why Blake I'm I'm more uh, focused on the offense at this point um not that I would be disappointed and I I really do think that you know in, in a trade down scenario we've we haven't talked about it too much and it's my opinion right now and this might seem obvious to a lot of folks who have watched Steve Kime operate and have seen him in you know many press conferences like Blake and I I have, but I think his first, I really do believe his first preference is to trade down. He said that previously, like you always want to be looking to move down to acquire more picks, but I, I really do think he believes that and wants to do that, especially with the fact that they don't have a second round pick now for the Hopkins deal. He wants to either supplement that pick with another pick in the second from another team, or he wants to add another third and some change on day on day three and let him manipulate, move around. And I get that. And I support that. So I think that it's more likely we could look at a defender if they trade down. I just think I, you know, I would be surprised again, Blake, you may disagree if Simmons is there at eight. I I don't, I think even though teams are trying to talk him down or media seems like they're trying to muzzle that notion that he could potentially fall. I think that's the same thing going on with Tua right now, where it's like, you know, teams are putting that out there. So they hope that it falls to said team. I think he's going to be gone. I think Jeff Okuda is going to be gone. I don't love the idea of taking CJ Henderson at eight. I don't think they will. Um, so it's like, well, who are we really going to go with? And we've talked about, you know, the tiers that they potentially have. I don't think Derek Brown is in their tier one. Again, if he is, in a tier, it's tier two that you would likely have um, in the teens. So if you're talking about moving down with Atlanta or with somebody like Tampa Bay at pick 14 and you're securing extra draft capital and you just want to go BPA and you're like, wow, I could get X player at this posi- at this position, Kenneth Murray. If they could get a Kenneth Murray you know, later in the first round or a Blacklock or somebody like that that they really love, you know, I would be supportive of that. Um, I just, if they're staying at eight and Okuda's gone and Simmons is gone, they're taking an offensive lineman or they're taking CeeDee Lamb. I, I firmly believe that. I know you and I run through, it seems like 10 to 12 scenarios every day. If you, if you don't believe us, we'll show you our DMs, but it's just like, you know, if he can't move down and the premium defenders are off the board. He's he's going to go a different direction, and I think they will be off the board. I don't think they're going to make it to eight. So it's just like, do we really want to speculate, you know, all of these, like, second and third tier defenders, like, who they can – because that, that becomes just impossible to do. Whereas if I if we're sitting at eight, 
I, I know they're going to consider Andrew Thomas. They like Andrew Thomas. They're going to consider Tristan Wirfs. They're going to consider CeeDee Lamb. They've got several offensive tackles in their first first tier along with Lamb. They've got Okuda in there. They've got Simmons in there. Um, and that's if they're staying at eight, if we're sitting here on draft night and it says the pick is in Arizona Cardinals, they're taking one of those guys I just mentioned. I, I 100% believe that. But if he's able to navigate and move down a couple spots and secure additional draft capital, then all bets are off. Then it's just like it really just becomes like whomever is taken before them, you just cross them off the list and you look at your big board and say, this is BPA. I feel better about taking BPA because at the end of the day, you want the highest rated player, especially when you're getting extra draft capital. And who knows? Maybe they get a player if they trade down that they otherwise would have considered at pick eight. But I, I just, at pick eight, I do, I do not think, I'll go on the record, and you know I love doing that, Blake, I do not think if they stay at pick eight, it will be a defender. Yeah, it does feel like that it is trending a bit that way. And part of it, I think also, John, is the fact that the Cardinals, if you take a look at the players ahead of them, uh, Steve kind of mentioned, as we talked about, that six to eight uh, blue chip players. Now, uh, blue chip, you've got blue chip, red chip, however teams want to describe it. You're talking about a difference maker. One of those guys who you would, uh, back in the day, you'd, if you'd want to picture little dots, blue chip would be that guy you got to watch out for. For the Cardinals, you'd be looking at your Patrick Peterson, your Chandler Jones, and then your Buda Baker would be essentially the Cardinals' blue chippers. Uh, Buda would be one of those guys who is definitely a blue chip player in the draft. He was probably a top 15 player on their board. He falls down into the second round. Cardinals trade up for him and are able to essentially give back some of those picks to the Chicago Bears that they surrendered for Mitch Trubisky. They had another type of blue chip player in Byron Murphy, who as soon as the first round ended, uh, I think it came out of a movie theater at the time. We had just finished watching Avengers Endgame, which you know, it still is just crazy to think about that Josh Rosen lasted as long on the Cardinals as the in-between uh, <laughs> between those two Avengers films. It's crazy to think about, but... Yeah, uh, and now we're in a spot where, you know, it feels like we're living in the Avengers in the game, but I, I digress from all of that. Uh, and instead, when I came back out, flipped through the first round, saw, oh, Nikhil Harry went at pick 32. That would have been kind of fun if he was there the next day. And I was like, who didn't get taken? Who didn't get, oh, top reigning player, Byron Murphy. That's a guy who the Cardinals were meeting with, who was probably like a top eight player. Um, um, he, I believe they said that he was a top six or seven or top five player on their board. And he's another blue chip player for them. He fit everything perfectly that they're looking for. There are players like that that are not necessarily going to be like your top five everywhere picks. There's going to be guys who you value differently. And I found it interesting that Kaim said that there's six to eight blue chip players. Now, in rewatching it, I don't know if you watched the, and I'm not one to read body language, but if there's any type of uh, spot that was there, I'd be curious to know, like, when he said six to eight, is that kind of the pick number to say, oh, yeah, there's six to eight. That means, hey, like, this is a it's trying to put leverage here. This may be a spot. We're trying to trade down. You have to give us a bit more. This is a blue chip player. Or is it the opposite where there's potentially more players are like that and, you know, he's willing to trade back? Or maybe even could it be a spot where, and this is kind of the numbers you look for, is maybe for the Cardinals there's six to eight blue chip players, but for the rest of the NFL there's not that many. And I think it's I'd lean a little bit more that way, John, because if you want to go through the thing that we've always seen that's very consistent pretty much every mock, pretty much every scenario, it's that five players are expected to be gone before the first six or seven picks are off the board. They're Joe Burrow, quarterback, Chase Young, the pass rusher. Those guys are essentially right now locks for picks one and two. 
Yeah, I'd say write those in pen. If there is any change that would happen, you'd literally hear about it 48 hours before because there would not be any other news that would be happening. It would just be, oh, hey, I'm here and the Redskins may be trading down. You're like, what? Let me just say something real fast, too. For everybody that complains on draft night when they know, like what the Cardinals did last year, they took up the whole time for Murray. To, they, they knew who they were taking, right? People were like, put the put the tab in, put the card in. You know who you're taking. This is ridiculous. They do that for suspense. The league wants them to do that. They'll ask them for both Joe Burrow and Chase Young to do that. And then also the other teams benefit from that because they can continue to negotiate, especially this year. So do not be surprised if we're sitting here and they take up the entire time for the first two picks. So I had to get that. That's a pet peeve of mine when people complain about that. It's like, of course, the league wants them to do that. Oh, yeah, and it's also a spot of there's drama that goes into We all knew, at least, that Kyler Murray was going to be the pick. It was even reported some 30 minutes before by multiple sources that the pick was in. It was clearly Murray. And the debate, the banter going all the buildup before every single pick, breaking down every pick, that's part of the uh, what happens with the NFL draft. Uh, you can think about through the 2018 season. It was probably more tense just because you saw – Three quarterbacks fly off the board, including in a trade-up, and a lot of people were wondering if Josh Rosen was going to fall, if the Cardinals were going to take Lamar Jackson. You suddenly saw the trade flash across the board, at least for that one, where it said Arizona's on the clock, and it was a huge moment. It's such a dramatic experience that it's part of why people love it and part of why I think the NFL determined that they have to have it. It's, uh, you know, the I think we called it last week the uh, dude's version of The Bachelor in that case of seeing which team gives which player which rose. But anyway, getting back, we had Burrow and Young, the one, two, are off the board. Jeff Akuda is not considered to be dropping out of the top five picks. Most people think the lowest he'll go is if the Lions trade back, just because he seems to fit everything Matt Patricia wants to do. If there was anything different the Lions did, it would be a bit of a shocker, but he's not really expected to fall that much further if that happened. Uh, the other locks that are considered there would be Isaiah Simmons has been consistently in there. There are mock drafts that do have him falling sometimes to eight or nine. The Jaguars are a team that will be interesting as they uh, would love to have a guy like Simmons is what it seems like, or at least another defensive playmaker. But then the other one that's most interesting is the quarterback conundrum. And this is where I think a lot of the Cardinals' fortune may be shaped, John, is that Tua Tagovailoa or Justin Herbert is likely going to be the pick for the Miami Dolphins, barring some sort of crazy trade-up. And all the media outlets so far seem to indicate that they believe that it's going to be Justin Herbert. And part of it may be that in a time like this, no one's able to really know what's going on with Tua Tagovailoa's medicals. Maybe they don't see him on the same level as Joe Burrow. Maybe they just have a preference. The more that I watch Herbert, it's kind of like the best way I can put it is I've watched a lot of Herbert and Love, went through a lot of the statistical uh, picks from there. If you're talking about them as first-round quarterbacks, yeah, I, I, I get it. If you're talking about them as top 10 picks, uh, the way I would compare it to would be you've got your Jake Locker in Justin Herbert and you've got your Blaine Gabbert in what looks to be Jordan Love. And that's because of the struggling under pressure for love, despite having a deep arm and athleticism. And you look at Herbert, there's a lot of athleticism you like, and then a lot of just straight-up dud games to be able to play. Even the, uh, I think, the the Rose Bowl game, which a lot of people praised him for having solid, great play this year. Uh, He threw for 138 yards. He had one interception, and he had three rushing touchdowns, only through 20 times. So... 
I understand, like, you know, sometimes it's like, well, of course, it's just one game. But a lot of times when you're talking about those high-pressure situations, those uh, big games, uh, when players who are elite or worth those picks produce, boom, you're able to see it. Giving up that high-caliber pick, as we've learned from Josh Rosen, is not something that you want to do when you burn a pick on a quarterback. Can you move off of them? Sure, but you're looking at a ruined head coaching career, a ruined offensive coordinator career. Uh, you're probably never going to see a defensive coordinator job given to poor Al Holcomb again. And Sam Bradford has never played in the NFL, and Josh Rosen has started, what, two games, I think, since that season. It's been nuts to think about how if you miss on a quarterback like that, then it is super costly. And that's why I'll be very, very intrigued to see what goes on with uh, Justin Herbert. I would think he'd be more likely better to take someone later in the first round. Because, John, if you look at the Cardinals, how they're built, Imagine if they traded up from pick 10 in the 2018 season and taken Minka Fitzpatrick. Like, we'd be having a totally different conversation. Now, clearly, it did not happen. He's now with the Pittsburgh Steelers. But the uh, five players that you have there, there's probably one, John, that we've talked about that we feel like there's a sixth player. We think that there's one more player who's probably going to be gone before the Cardinals pick. And I'm pretty sure that you know who it is. It's the offensive lineman out of Iowa and the guy we've talked a lot about on this show. Tristan Worse. It seems very likely that there's mocks that I've seen him falling to eight, but with a lot of the talk around with the Giants um, potentially going offensive tackle, we've seen a lot of talk about, hey, if someone trades up to Detroit for three, could Miami take a tackle and just try to trade up later? Some people even said that the Chargers may be sitting back doing nothing. Someone said, hey, they could take a tackle. I don't think all three teams take tackles before Arizona picks. That would be one of the craziest scenarios to consider that, you know, all all this talent would be falling down. But it does seem like Tristan Wirfs, for the most part, he's kind of seeming like he's solidifying as the consensus offensive tackle one. And, John, I know you're probably not surprised by that at all. No, he's been my my top tackle since day one. Uh, I've, I've talked about him on this podcast since last fall. Um, he was coming into the season as a, as a top 10 pick good for him for solidifying that throughout the duration of the season. Uh, Iowa is a, is a factory for offensive linemen. Um, and they are, if anything, they are solid, if not spectacular at the next level, they're coached at the highest level by, uh, Iowa head coach, Kirk Ferentz. He's 21 years old, six, five, three twenty. dominated the combine you know, last time we saw him, Blake, because I'm not sure Iowa had a pro day, he was running a what a four eight one forty four eight five. I've got it right here. We ran a four eight five forty. His three cone was seven point six five. His vertical jump thirty six inches. Ran his four uh, twenty yard shuttle in a four point six eight, which is just ridiculous. Uh, he he is going to be at worst just a very solid, steady starter that gets multiple contracts. That's a ten year starter in this league. At best, he's going to be a franchise-changing offensive tackle. I think he can play left tackle if you need him to, because um, I know he flip-flopped from right to left tackle in certain games. But if the Cardinals were to get him, and I don't think they will, and it makes me legitimately sad, but if he were to fall to them at, at eight and they would take him, he would be everything that the Cardinal fans want out of an offensive lineman in the first round. Everything that Levi Brown was supposed to be, everything that Jonathan Cooper was supposed to be at the guard position. That's what Tristan Wirfs is. Um, and so it's, it's, it, you know, I'm coming to grips with it. He is so safe in my opinion. There's such a safety to him because he just, they check, he checks every box. He's like Isaiah Simmons, except for Isaiah Simmons doesn't have a position and why we think he could fall a little bit. 
Well, I, I think he does have a position technically, but we, we, we'll get into that. <laughs> yeah. But Worfs himself, um, you know, you talk about super conservative Dave Gettleman at four. That's who I just keep coming back to. Big Ten, they took a, a, a Big Ten running back, albeit Saquon Barkley, two years ago. They took a quarterback last year in Daniel Jones out of the ACC, and they're going to take an offensive tackle out of the Big Ten. And he checks every box for Dave Gettleman. They're going to slide him in at right tackle. They're going to allow Nate Soldier to continue to play left tackle. And they're going to try to protect Daniel Jones. Again, Dave Gettleman, at the end of the year, in the press conference for the Giants, said that we did not do a good enough job up front on the offensive line this year. We have to get better at that area. They have done nothing in free agency to upgrade their offensive line. They have the same starters as they ended 2019 with. Well, what does that tell you? It tells you that they're going to address the offensive line in this draft. They pick four for a reason. I get it. Their defense is awful. They have so many holes, but think about what they did defensively last year, Blake. They traded Odell Beckham, an offensive player, for a first-round pick that they spent a nose tackle on and Jabril Peppers, a safety. So they actually added two first-round defenders last Hmm. year. So now you're looking at their defense, and they're probably thinking to themselves, you know, we added Blake Martinez in free agency. We've We've done this. We've done that. Maybe we'll add a pass rusher here or there. Uh, maybe they bring back Marcus Golden, but their defense needs a lot of work more than Isaiah Simmons can fix. Their offensive line is where their resources they've invested in in the top ten are Daniel Jones and Saquon Barkley. And I, I just if I had to make a projection outside of Chase Young and Joe Burrow being locks, I think I think Tristan Wirfs to the Giants is a lock, Blake. It certainly feels like it would be, and what what you'd hope for if you will love Tristan Wirfs is that it'd be a little bit of a switch where it'd be an Andrew Thomas that would go at that pick, and then you could see potentially Wirfs fall. Thomas is getting a bit more top 10 love. Some of that might be that the Browns have kind of figured out this is the guy that we're looking for, and maybe that's part of where people feel like he's not going to fall past uh, that place, but there's a lot of Cardinals players who that they have interest in that we've talked about um, whether that we've either texted or talked to people have known, whether it's been reported interest or other meetings. And there's quite a few of the guys who are after that. You're, you're talking about, you know, we've talked a lot about uh, Jedrick Wills, the other uh, pass protector, obviously Lamb, Judy, Andrew Thomas. Um, Henderson's name at least has emerged recently. You're also looking at a guy like Javon Kinlaw, who we both like better than uh, another certain player I'll mention here in a second. Um, uh, I think it's Kevon Chason out of LSU. That would be kind of your um, uh, edge rusher slash more of like a linebacker who would kind of rotate maybe a bit, be more of like that third down rusher, maybe move into that starting role. Uh, partially the value of edge rusher we talked about is super huge. And Kenneth Murray out of Oklahoma, he's one of those guys who when you look at uh, his tape, a lot of the read and react stuff was probably simplistic in some nature, but he played a lot more as far as an actual linebacker, middle linebacker role. Um, he'd kind of be one of those players you'd look at, like a Quan Alexander would probably be a good example. Um, uh, there's another player at least who comes to mind here. I have to remember from a, we had a text conversation at least earlier about it, but the interesting one here to me is all of those players at least don't fit this 10 to 15 blue chip players that Steve Kimes talking about. So it makes me think, John, that there's probably a few pl- a player or two that would be there at eight 
Steve Kahn would take them. I think Tristan Wirfs is one of those players. I think Jeff Okuda is one of those players. I don't know if Isaiah Simmons is one of those players. The way I would look at Simmons is, and this has kind of come out a lot more, people are looking at his position, how he's moving around, all of the facts, and people are looking at it and saying, hey, I, I think he's probably a safety. And that's something, you know, I've preached that for a little while. And if you're looking at him there, all of a sudden the comps become a lot more easy to see because his high-end comp now becomes a Derwin James or a guy who could play all over the place, like maybe even a Jamal Adams. That would be a best case scenario of like this kind of uh, defensive machine who's able to be lined up all over the place, do multiple things. The kind of worst case scenario, the one that I think is something to be aware of would be Mark Barron who was taken by the St. Louis Rams, if I recall correctly, or maybe it was traded to the Rams, I believe, from the Bucks. He was essentially a safety, eventually moved to linebacker, one of those times that all the teams wanted to have their nickel, ba- nickel linebacker, uh, or I should say uh, even like they, they call it like the, uh, the, I think, nickel and dime situations when you've got four or five defensive backs on the field. That's kind of his worst case comp. Barron had a lot of similarities. That's one that I'm very curious to find out because it, there is a chance, I think, that Simmons, if things fall the right way, could fall to the Cardinals, or he might be a guy who goes one pick ahead of them at pick number seven. I, I don't know, but the one thing that I do at least know, John, is that the odds seem more likely if there's three quarterbacks taken, there's got to be someone who's there on the board for the Cardinals to stay at eight. Because, as we know, Steve Kime doesn't trade back unless their board is picked clean or unless there's a trade opportunity that's already in the works. And that would be the only thing which if that Oh yeah, I was going to say if there's something that's already in the works and that's the plan of moving back, then it would make sense for why they've met with a lot of prospects that are kind of ranked who are supposed to go anywhere from uh, pick 12 to pick 22 or so. There's a lot of those prospects that the Cardinals have met with now. Maybe that's due diligence. They wanted to, you know, make sure maybe the whole plan all along has been to try to recoup a second round pick. We know how Kyle loves his picks, but what are some of your thoughts potentially on that, John? Because it'll be very interesting to me to see exactly how the Cardinals have these guys ranked because if, you know, you've got, say, hey, six to eight blue chip players, we had six blue chip players and all six of them are gone, then it very may, very likely could be the Cardinals jet out of there. Well, and what I'll say too is, Blake, is I, I think that, you know, if they're at eight and they love, let's say, three players, you know, by statistics, you know, simple math, if they've got an offer from a Cleveland or a, or the New York Jets to come up, then you absolutely move back um, if the offer is worth it. Uh, and then just take, you know, one of the remaining players that you had uh, at worthy of pick eight. I think that's that's simple. Um, it's not going to be that simple. I don't think like you just mentioned, um, if they're if their board is picked clean to the point where they would rather have a day two pick or potentially a 2021 first rounder. Um, that's something that I'm sure Kime will consider. I just, to me, Blake, if I'm Steve Kime, he's got some, some capital buildup after Kyler Murray, but he also plays in the, in the toughest division in football. There's pressure on this organization now to show improvement as much as it might be best for business to, to, to go ahead and, and deal away you know, the eighth overall pick this year and the majority of what you're getting back is a first rounder in 2021. I mean, I don't think there's a, a great chance, but could Steve Kime still be the GM in 2021? I mean, that's got to go through his mind. 
It might. If you fail, if you fail epically, obviously, as we've seen, that that can happen, and there's teams that do move on. What if Kyler gets hurt? Knock on wood, and the draft picks from last year don't pan out. None of them show anything this year, and you're you're really struggling offensively with Kyler being compromised. You know, I'm not saying this to speak any omens or anything like that, but I'm saying there is probably some part in his mind that he's thinking to himself, like, I, you know, I want to have job security. I need players to help me now. Um, and you're in a position where you can do that now. You don't have to reach for a quarterback like they, they previously had to think about that every year, quarterback and waiting. We needed a quarterback long-term. You have him now. So if you deem multiple players worthy of that eighth pick, and this is a draft heavy in positions of the Cardinals need, I mean, the Cardinals, their number one need, in my opinion, is offensive tackle. There's a slew of them. They're still in need of receiver. This is the best receiver draft class in the last decade, right? They need an inside backer. There's a ton of quality inside backers. There's, you know, some really nice secondary defensive linemen that could be available day three for this team. There's always good corner depth. So it's not like the Cardinals are picking eight and they have all these needs filled and the, the positions of need are like, quarterback and like running or excuse me the positions of value that are available are quarterback and running back and you know the few positions the cardinals are set at right i I just think that it would be a very interesting and i don't know it would be a gamble for kime to deal away his eighth pick this year in a top 10 so rich in needs that he has and to get a first rounder next year when he may not be pulling the trigger. That has to be going through his mind. I think he's got collateral built up and I think he'll be here for at least for the next two years, but you're, you're not promised anything in this business. What he is promised is that he is going to have control in this draft during this time. And so I think it's more likely if he does deal down, he'll stay in the teens. You and I discussed it today Benjamin Albright, our buddy who's been on the podcast before, put out that the Atlanta Falcons are looking to move up specifically for for a defensive lineman. Um, And so he ventured to say that they could be moving up as high as maybe 10 or 11. But for fun, we did a projection. I've heard nine. I've heard quite a bit about what the Jaguars potentially as well. So if they were to move up with the cart, let's say they call Steve Kime and they ask him, what's it going to take? The the trade-off for their second rounder, which is in the 40s, um, is almost perfect. The Cardinals would likely have to kick in maybe a 2021 draft pick, but they don't have a they don't have a fourth now. Or let's say I think maybe like a sixth rounder this year, which I think Kime would definitely do. So then you're talking about picking what is it 16, Blake, and 45, yeah. 46. Um, that is the I I my opinion I think that's the farthest Kime is is looking to go. I think Philadelphia, you know, you're talking about going to pick 21. You're not going to get their first next year. You'd have to get their first next year if you're going to go back that far. You'd have to get their first next year. And the other thing about that is we've never seen a te- we've only seen one player or position 
that a team ever did that for in the past four to five years that was essentially not a uh, let's see the I, we've seen that with the well we've seen that with the um, the Buffalo Bills who did it for Sammy Watkins a few years ago jumped up I believe from pick eight up to pick four and we saw it with the New Orleans Saints giving up their twenty their uh, first round pick when they jumped up for Marcus Davenport. And I believe he was at like pick 16 or 17. They jumped up from like one of the almost the 30s, I believe, or the late 20s all the way into the teens. So those are the only times we've seen it. Both of those times it was, hey, this player, either we think that highly of him. Now you look back at it, you're like, wow, what what were you exactly doing, Bills, considering they had Rex Ryan at the time and you passed on Mike Evans, Otto Beckham Jr., gave up the extra picks for a player who hasn't panned out the same way in the NFL. The Saints believe they needed a pass rusher who would put them over the top. He's been a good player, but has not been worth the two first-round picks thus far. Um, so that's just kind of the case for how it is, John, is most likely if a team is jumping up to eight, it'd have to be for a quarterback, and it would probably have to be a team like, you know, your Patriots or a team that's picking pretty late that would need one of those. It's hard for me to see a team wanting to jump all the way up for one of those players unless, you know, you see a Tua Tagovailoa falls to eight, and then one of those teams decides to jump up for him despite the risk. I honestly don't see it happening this year because everything we're hearing is there's probably more teams wanting to trade back than there are to trade up. The only teams looking at jumping up right now that we know of as far as, and we can kind of do an educated guess here too. We know that the Buccaneers are looking for a tackle for Tom Brady. They may be looking to move up a couple picks and they may be looking to move up a lot. We know that the Denver Broncos love Henry Ruggs, but the talk on the street is that if he's there at 13, it's going to be a toss up between him and maybe a Javon Kinlaw for the Niners. If you assume that the Atlanta Falcons are trading up to try to get a Kinlaw, well, Niners all of a sudden may not be able to get Kinlaw. They may want to take rugs. Well, now the Broncos may want to move up so they can get rugs. Well, you've got three teams looking to move up. That means that there's a lot of teams looking to move down. So it doesn't seem very likely to me, John, that teams past that 16 or in those 20s are going to be making a huge leap up. Now, I know some people uh, were commenting today. They saw that there was a rumor that the Philadelphia Eagles loved CeeDee Lamb. were looking to make a huge move up from 21. I don't know if I see that with the capital that they have because you'd be probably looking at giving up your 2021 first round pick. And with all the guys coming off the book for them that year, it's not really something I think you'd want. But maybe they think they can win a Super Bowl with the wide receiver. But uh, let's get back to kind of some of the question where we're talking a lot about a trade back, some of those options. We've got some of those that we've put together a few seven round mock drafts here tonight for the Arizona Cardinals. One of them that you mentioned I'd love to dive into, John, if you're ready, and it was if the Cardinals traded back a few picks, not a lot, a few picks, and were able to add a second-round pick. I ran a simulation using the uh, – I used a couple of different mock draft sites. This was the pro football-focused one. Uh, I traded back from 8 to 10, got a second-round pick back from that one, but had to give up one of the uh, fourth-round picks that we had. And as a result of that, I ended up with um, a decent, at least, to draft that was there. We still saw Jedrick Wills available at pick 10. Uh, looking back at pick 41, I took Justin Matabuike, the Texas A&M defensive line. We've had some conversations about him. He's probably a guy that, between him and Ross Blacklock, one of those two guys, if the Cardinals wanted to add a defensive lineman, they seem like they would both be fit and talented players. Um, I had uh, the most intriguing pick for the mock for me. I had Jonathan Taylor was still on the board at pick 72, the running back. Not a lot of running backs were taken. 
And then later, one of the players who I don't feel like will be there was Jeremy Chin, the safety at pick 97. Uh, getting into pick 114, Devin Duvernay, the wide receiver. He's a guy who I could see if he's still there with one of their fourth rounders. I could see Arizona take him. In this case, he fell to the fifth round. Uh, a less athletic uh, linebacker in Evan Weaver was pick at 202. And then all the way back at pick 222, uh, I think I ended up ditching one of the seventh round picks to move up a bit. Trey Adams, the tackle who has fallen all the way from the first round due to injuries to be much later. He's probably too stiff for the position, but that late it's at least good to take a gamble on him, John. What are your thoughts? Do you think that that mock, as far as the Cardinals moving back, do the benefits that you get from that reap some of the rewards? Or do you think that this is a case where it's still not quite the quality that you're looking for for moving back? Yeah, I don't think the quality's there in that scenario. I think that you're better off just taking uh, BPA and, and going with one of the premium defenders or an offensive tackle. Um, I get it. It's going to be a long wait between pick eight and pick 72. Uh, I know Kime's thinking that. I know this, this fan base is thinking that. Um, and so you're going to be desperate for more picks, more capital, because that means more optimistically speaking – you could turn that into something else, right? Or, you know, you've got two shots at a premium player instead of one. But, I mean, there's a reason guys go top 10 because they're, for the most part, the best players in the draft. So as long as you're not reaching at pick eight and you're taking somebody who is, for the most, I mean, like, we talked about it, like, I think, like, the last podcast we had, there's a little bit of a drop-off after those, as Kai mentioned, those blue chippers. And you get to, I think, pick 17, 18, 19. You, it's, it's interchangeable to me through, I think, like pick 40, 45, 50, maybe. You could make that argument. So it's like, theoretically, you could take the same player, maybe, that you take with your first that you could get in your second. I mean, I've done too many drafts to, to even name right now on the draft network. And, you know, I could get somebody like Blacklock or Kenneth Murray in the first I've seen Patrick Queen available in the second, and he's a lot of people. With, a lot of people think he could be a first rounder. So nobody thinks Tristan Wirfs is falling to the second round. Much, you know, even or or even the teens or the twenties. I mean, most people think that's a top ten talent. Isaiah Simmons is a top ten talent. Jeff Okuda is a top ten talent. If they're there, then you pick them and you figure out the rest later. You don't. You you dilute it significantly in the opposite way. If the Cardinals hit on this player, they can worry about trading down next year when they're in, you know, the late teens, early 20s. Maybe they make the playoffs and you can be John Schneider, which I read something the other day. John Schneider of the uh, Seattle Seahawks has traded down every year since he's taken over as GM. That's that's incredible. <laughs> and so why is that? Well, he's in the he's in the 20s every year. That's what Bill Belichick does. That's what the elites do. They accumulate day two picks because people are desperate. They want to come up. They want to get a quarterback at that fifth-year option, right? That's smart because there's not a big difference between the players in the 20s and the players at the start of round two. The Cardinals aren't in that pick. They're in the top 10. You're in the top 10. You need a top 10 pick. And there are players that fit what you're looking for in the top 10. And so I I get going down from eight to 10 to if, if Cleveland wants to come up, but I, you know, we're hearing they don't, they want to go back and the jets, they don't want to, mm -hmm. you know, waste resources. They want to stay put. Yeah. You'd have to get a third. The jets and the Raiders both have two third round picks this year, 
But a lot of those guys, again, would like to either stay put because you're going to be landing one of those top four tackles or one of those top three wide receivers. So, yeah, it's a numbers game. You see a lot of teams are probably – now, what's interesting about this here is if there's a lot of these teams, like this is probably the best case you can look for it, they need a tackle and a wide receiver. Well, hey, they've got um, two third-round picks. The Raiders have another first-round pick. They are also probably looking at either a linebacker or more likely a cornerback that's there. There's all sorts of possibilities where you, because you have those multiple picks, could at least trade up a little bit to either get the guy you want, but you'd be more likely just saying, eh, why don't I just trade up from this third, get one of the guys I like who falls because it's a deep wide receiver draft. It makes me think, John, that there is something to be said for if there's not a wide receiver who goes at 7, 8, or 9, they could take a bit of a tumble, even maybe past 12, to where when we talked about, you might end up seeing the Niners get the first crack at this wide receiver class, but from what, at least what I know or at least talked to people about, it seems like they would prefer Henry Ruggs to be their guy. Maybe there's other trade-ups that happen. Um, I wanted to go and talk a little bit about, um, if you've got pulled together a seven-round mock or so, John, if there's either players or stuff that you've been able to see or maybe even a draft scenario. Yeah, there's there's one in particular I like. Um, so are we, are we including trades or not including trades? Yeah, I was going to say, let's go ahead. I pulled one without trades that I can get back to after this one just because I was curious, but I'd love to hear what your kind of mock that you loved was. Uh, let's go over that one, John. Okay, let's do it without trades first. Turning it off. The one I liked most recently that I thought was really interesting is the, the, the this is how the top seven went. Okay, Joe Burrow, Chase Young, the Lions taking Derek Brown, uh, which is really interesting. Ooh. And I think that that's completely, I, that would be the, the shocker, I think, of the top 10, but it would fit what Matt Patricia is. Um, and we really do feel like they're going to take a defender. But they're not taking Jeff Okuda. They're taking Derek Brown. Iowa tackle Tristan Wirfs goes to the New York Giants. We expect that. Justin Herbert goes to the Miami Dolphins, leaving Tua for the L.A. Chargers. And then Jeff Okuda is there, sit, falling in the lap of the Carolina Panthers. So the Cardinals have an opportunity to take Andrew Simmons or what is their maybe their top tackle in Andrew. Whoa, whoa. And Andrew Simmons or Isaiah Simmons? You said I, I... Yeah. I say, Andrew Simmons sounds like the greatest prospect ever because it's all that athleticism that he plays left tackle, right? Isaiah Simmons, could we somehow walk away with both? I, I, oh, yeah. We draft both these players. No one told us we couldn't, right? <laughs> so Isaiah Simmons is there. The draft network has Isaiah Simmons as the sixth best player in the draft. Andrew Thomas is there. He's the ninth best. Um, and so I, I took Isaiah Simmons. I said, you know, at the end of the day, Tristan Wirfs is gone. He's my top tackle. Um, as much as I like Andrew Thomas, which he went to Cleveland, Jedrick Wills went to the Jets, you know, of course, CJ Henderson, which we've hearing a lot about going to the Jacksonville Jaguars. You know, if you would have asked me or the Panthers, you know, Panthers might be there too, is the other latest rumor. So, well, we'll see. This is still, again, a lot of this is lying week. It'll be fascinating to look. I look back on this a few mock drafts from past years, just to kind of see even some of the most accurate mock drafters that you saw. Like someone like uh, even Peter Schrager a few years ago, like last year, he was one of the most uh, accurate 2019 drafters. They're looking at Deshaun Watson going sixth to the Jets and Patrick Mahomes going 25th to the Texans. They ended up flipping the picks. We have we have seen, John, that this is the whole thing with the draft. We can talk and project and there's stuff that we can kind of see and know where we're like, hey, we got that pick totally right. There's other times where we just don't know like 
crap about the NFL draft and how it's going to turn out, and that's part of what makes it so interesting. And one of these cases, like you said, if a Derek Brown were to go earlier than expected, or if, and then there's a somewhat of a kind of fall down for a Jeff Okuda due to quarterbacks or trade-ups or other aspects, like, I've asked people are like, hey, do you think that Okuda would fall? What's the percentage? And I'm like, hey, it's maybe 0.1%, but it's still a chance that he may be there because you never know. People around the league thinks that C.J. Henderson is a better pure cover corner, which I don't know how you could think that outside of the – he played in a better conference. Jeff Okuda didn't – I think he had like one penalty this year for for holding. Um, No defensive pass interference penalties. I mean, he's a – He's a superb prospect that the car so that 40 time that four point was it four three nine I think for Henderson versus the four five five if that's the reason what's separating you then yeah it's different so but there's a there's a lot I think that can go in for some of those scenarios so you had your mock drafts in there let's finish that up so you took Isaiah Simmons and I I'd agree with that there could be some chaos that falls where there's a player you don't expect to be there at eight and that may be what leaves the Cardinals to stay if all of those players are essentially picked. Uh, might not be the case. Let's continue on. What was uh, the next steps that you saw with your mock draft? Yeah, I'd say, you know, we have discipline in these. I, it's so tempting to trade down in these because it's just like, I know I could get Jedrick Wills in the teens and everybody want in these scenarios on the mock draft machine with the, with the draft network, everybody wants to trade with you. So it's just like, that's not real life. This doesn't happen in real life. So it's better probably just to stand pat, especially with like, I don't know how many trades we could have with the, whole scenario of zoom and skype and you know virtual draft i just something tells me maybe there'll be less trades than normal i hope not because i love that aspect so yeah so we got through the first round and the usual suspects are there josh jones caesar ruiz patrick queen denzel mims you know we bypassed the second round and i kept watching a specific name continue to fall and i'm like well there's no way he's going to be there when i pick at 72 and I was very tempted to push the trade button, and I didn't to go up, and I didn't need to. Ross Blacklock, interior defensive lineman for TCU, hmm. fell all the way to pick 72 and was, I think, roughly like the 45th best prospect, according to the draft machine, on the draft network. That's a home run pick. You pair Blacklock up with Isaiah Simmons, and suddenly you've become interesting defensively. You've become, oh, this is the equivalent, in my opinion— of Dan Williams and Daryl Washington in what was that 2010, but it has bigger upside. This is the flip flop of that, of that draft. And so that would be the kind of home run pick that I would love to see to 72. Then I'm going to talk myself into actually happening. That won't happen, but to get a player that caliber, I, I just think that's, that's a home run pick for the Cardinals. Um, and he was available somehow. So continuing on pick 114. So I'm going to stay consistent with what we're hearing. It's not going to be my first choice. Um, but Zach Moss, running back Utah, uh, the 106th best player. I got him at pick four, 114. I know we know they like him, Blake, as as they like Blacklock. So this is consistent with what we're hearing from yep. media outlets, from reporters. Um, you know, nice player, you know, for a Utah team that didn't get a lot of pub, that, that beat USC. Um, I, I think that would be a capable back eventually taking over for, for Kenyon Drake. He doesn't have the upside of some of the other guys, but the fourth round, who can complain? Then I took John Simpson, interior offensive lineman from Clemson at pick 131. Finally had to get offensive line on the board. 
We're going interior this time. So essentially this draft, the way the board fell for me, Blake, you know, you see the dominoes fall. Once I took Isaiah Simmons at eighth overall, it was like you're at the mercy of the board and you can't expect to get a starting level offensive tackle at that point. If you if one falls to you, like if the equivalent of Blacklock, I don't know who that would be, would were to fall to you in the third. You'd, you'd think that your stars, maybe everybody else loads up on tackle. In the first round, we saw Evan Silva, I think, tonight tweeted out he and Benjamin Albright, six, seven offensive tackles in the first round. So some could become available later on. I just I think that, you know, you're you're not going if you're not trading down and getting an extra second or third and you're staying at eight and you take C.D. Lamb or Isaiah Simmons, tackle's not an option this year, which would hurt my heart, as you know, Blake. But at the same time. You know, maybe they feel confident Marcus Gilbert recovering. Maybe they think Justin Murray can take that next step. But it would be nice to see them, you know, address a defense that really has not done much of anything outside of when we had uh, James Betcher and Todd Bowles running the defense. And they, they need to reinvigorate the front seven. We've said that pretty consistently. So at pick 202, which is in the sixth round, um, you know, the options were pretty dwindling. I took Tanner Muse. To safety out of Clemson, great special teamer, versatility, um, can play a little, little bit of linebacker if we need to. Um, and at this point, you know, we talked about the importance of finding players to contribute on special teams in round six. The Cardinals don't have enough of those. And Steve Kimes said it today in his press conference. He's like, I've been killing myself over special team tape, and I just think the writing's on the wall. They're going to look for an ace on special teams, and I think they're going to look at that on, on day three, late on day three. And then the last guy that I took, I took a wide receiver that um, I've taken in previous mock drafts uh, on this channel, uh, Juwan Jennings, a wide receiver uh, out of Tennessee, took him on my Revenge of the Birds mock draft. I think at the end of the day, if you're going to gamble on a late round receiver, I want somebody from a program that underperformed. Maybe you get him out of that dysfunction. You put him with Kyler Murray and Cliff Kingsbury. He's a big physical player that can play in the slot. Um, maybe you find something there. At the worst, he becomes a, a special teams contributor. So at the end of the day, my picks went as followed. I got Isaiah Simmons, who we think could be a Pro Bowl-level linebacker slash safety hybrid, just the new NFL, right? He's huge, physical, ridiculous 40 time. I got gifted with him at pick eight, and I'm going to run with that. Uh, secondly, I got Ross Blacklock at pick 72, interior defensive lineman from TCU, who a lot of people think could be a fringe first-rounder. To get him in the in the third round is a is a gift from God, um, and then I went with Zach Moss with my pick in the third round just because, or my pick in the fourth round I should say just because you know it's not my favorite choice Blake. I didn't love the tackle options, and I thought you know at the end of the day if he's there they're probably going to take him. We talk about that sweet spot for a running back. Um, I think that that's that's where they're going to go. They don't have a fifth round pick this year because of the supplemental pick last year for Jalen Thompson, Tanner Muse in the sixth. And Juwan Jennings in the seventh, Blake. That's my mock draft for this week, but that is not my official prediction. That is just one that I did on the draft trade machine, or excuse me, the mock draft machine on draftnetwork.com. Thanks for letting me share it. 
Oh yeah, no, it's it, it's great. There's, it's fun to be able to go and run some of those scenarios, seeing what value. And we've gotten, I would say, a lot smarter as fans ever since those have taken over. Now, sometimes, obviously, there can be uh, situations like I had the the mock draft that I ran today that ended up having. I believe it was um, both Worfs and Wills went off the board before pick eight. Um, I ended up did end up taking Lamb in that scenario. Still had Clyde Edwards-Hilaire available at pick 72. I don't think he goes in the first round. Some people have speculated that Kansas City goes running back. I think another team would trade up for that spot rather. But it's one of those cases where sometimes players fall for different reasons. Sometimes they don't. I, I wanted to get back to when you were talking about Zach Moss because – He's a curious case because there's he's the one running back who the Cardinals probably like because he was the PFF guy. He's questionable as far as how he's recovered from the uh, surgery, from the injuries he's taken. There's a lot of production, a lot of broken tackles. I think coming around, I'm coming around a bit more on him because even if it may be a bit of a injury question, he still played and didn't miss time. And he also was a great scheme fit as far as with power to the point where if you're going to be talking about him as your third round pick, I'll be like, eh, I'd have to see like who's on the board. Do they pass on a you know a player who could be more available? Did they you know whoever they take in the first round obviously will have some say. But is there a player who would have probably been a bit better value that they passed on because hey we need we need to take a running back after that after uh, Kenyon Drake so we can. you know make sure that we're not going into next year with that as a huge need or having to sign him to a huge deal. I think that if he's there in the fourth round, it's a lot easier for me to get behind that as a pick. I do think that there is a bit of a drop off after that. I mean, like you could, there's some guys like Darrington Evans, Antonio Gibson, or some. They've got plenty of fans. Uh, Joshua Kelly is a guy who I think is going to rise up and be taken a lot sooner than people expected. Uh, partially because he was a senior bowl guy. A lot of these guys who are at the senior bowl are going to get uh, be a known quantity and go a bit higher than what we think. And uh, if some of these quarterbacks like Jacob Eason, Jake Fromm, Jalen Hurts, even if a team decides to risk it on an Anthony Gordon after watching how uh, Gardner Minshew surprised last year, if that all happens within the first three rounds, it'll probably mean that the Cardinals could see a lot more talent fall their way as they don't need a quarterback. Uh, one of the mocks that I did as we kind of try to uh, wrap up and get out of here a bit tonight, we'll have some final comments here in a minute, but... Uh, one of the players that I really had to maybe not stress over, but I'm very curious about to follow, and this would be kind of the, um, I guess you'd say the classic Steve Kime type of move, um, would be to look at a small school player, which might scare a few people out, but maybe not as small school as they would think, and that would be looking at offensive tackle Robert Hunt. Robert Hunt is probably one of the more underrated players in this entire draft. You don't hear his name a lot. The Cardinals have met with him multiple times. What's interesting about him is that he's rated probably about like the 7th, 8th at most, maybe the 10th or 11th tackle on a lot of teams' boards. But he's rated as the number one overall guard prospect for a lot of teams. And I think that that may be a spot where if the Cardinals look at that positional flexibility because he did play uh, offensive tackle for at least two years. I'm trying to look up his little draft profile here right now. But if he's a guy who's played offensive tackle in college, they think he may move inside to guard but has the athleticism that you need. Maybe that's kind of your, hey, everyone thinks this guy is a guard. Cool, we think he's athletic enough to either play tackle, A, or B, if he's not, then we can move him in inside to replace either a Justin Pugh, and suddenly you're talking about the Cardinals getting great value from a guy who maybe other teams are overlooking 
in a lot of different ways. So he's played uh, left guard in 2016. He played left tackle in 2017 for two games and then started at right tackle for the next two seasons before uh, getting injured. So he's uh, one of those players who, if he's there at 72 that and the Cardinals decided to go in a direction outside of offensive tackle, John, I feel like that would probably be the at least my best case scenario where if there's not one of the running backs who's going to fall, one of the top five backs, I would probably be like, hey, if you wanted to go and take a CD lamp, but you're knowing you're going to get or tread up for a Robert Hunt later, and he's going to be one of those guys who may be a stalwart plug-and-play guy in your line. He could even start this year with pick 72. Sure, I, I feel like that, that, that may be one of the places to go for the Cardinals, but I'm not necessarily married to that age. Just very interesting to kind of look at because, again, John, as you're building your team, there's always going to be players and value that you can find. And I think it's crucially more important for Steve Kime to hit on that eighth pick. And then hopefully in a deep draft, you can find talent to add to it. Then I think it is to essentially try to mangle, or I guess you could say, taking at least a swing of the bat during a very critical year for the cards. Uh, do you have any other thoughts or uh, any other differences? I've got uh, pretty much there's nothing else that I had in that mock draft of mine. I, th- I know I had DuVernay a little bit later, but I do think, John, that there's a good chance that the Cardinals in this draft, what we're not talking about, we haven't mentioned a cornerback at all, but we've mentioned that there's been interest in C.J. Henderson. There's obviously interest in Jeff Okuda. It's hard to know who they would pick. Are there any corner prospects after those guys that would catch your eye? Not really. Um, you know, I hate to say that. I think that C.J. Henderson was an option before his recent rise in a trade-down scenario. I don't think it's yeah. an option now. I don't think the Cardinals could be wrong. I don't think the Cardinals are going to have interest in him at pick eight. I think the sweet spot for him is going to be potentially right after to Jacksonville. Um, and so I, I think, you know, in a perfect world, if they traded down to pick whatever, 14 to Tampa, and if th- this was two weeks ago and Henderson was just a firm first rounder, I think he would have been an option. We had heard that name from several media outlets and sources within the industry, and now it's he's he, it's like a rocket ship. He's taken off, and there are teams that, that prefer him over Jeff Okuda, which is crazy to say. So uh, to me, I, 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 I think those are the two top ones, and I, I just come back to the fact that, Blake, you know, at the end of the day – I sit on a lot of draft weekends and I, I wait for them consistently to take offensive linemen high and, and it never it never happens. Um, and so I'm just I am just very cautiously optimistic that this is going to be the year, like you mentioned, even if you don't get one of the premium tackle prospects at eight, you know, make sure that pick 72, get a player that can come in and, and just be in the pipeline. You see Mason Cole took his lumps as a rookie, sat last year because it was Kingsbury's first year. Now he's going to play center for them, and I think he's going to do a damn good job. That's what you need out of players in the mid to late rounds, and if you're able to hit that on the offensive line, it it benefits you so much. That's what they did with Bobby Massey, and Bobby Massey took his lumps early. He had a suspension, came back, and was a really good player on a team that went to an NFC championship game, started multiple playoff games, got a really nice contract, and did well for the Chicago Bears went to the playoffs and was their right tackle two years ago. That's what the Cardinals need to identify, and they just haven't been able to recently. Um, And so I would love for them, if they trade down, they get multiple picks, make sure you address the offensive line in some way. And Blake, I love your notion of just going with interior if you need to in the third round. You know, J.R. Sweezy's Mm -hmm. on a one-year deal. Justin Pugh's expensive and getting older. You know, so those are two positions. We could be sitting here next year. The Cardinals may need two guards. 
right? Maybe Justin Murray pans out. You like DJ Humphreys, and maybe it's the interior that needs attention. So to build off of what Kime said today, you, you never you want to project into the future. And I think that, yeah, we can look at the receiver position and say, boy, Larry's getting up there. He's year to year. What's Kirk's status with the team? The guys last year underperformed. But I think you could do the same and more so with the offensive line. Humphreys is, is essentially on a two-year contract. We don't know what's happening at right tackle. Mason Cole we like, but hasn't started in two years. Your guards played phenomenal football last year, but both of them are you know on the tail end of what could be their Cardinal career. So I, I, I just want pipeline talent inserted. And we were talking about mm-hmm. it off air with, with Jess Root and Seth Cox and just about, well, they're going to be up against the curve with the fact that there's no OTAs, the fact that, you know, Justin Murray and Marcus Gilbert will have a leg up because they know the offense. And that's probably true. Whereas in Isaiah Simmons and CeeDee Lamb, they're so freakish they're going to come in. They're just going to make plays, right, where it's harder to be a refined offensive lineman when you don't have enough time. You know, I'd argue that OTAs are kind of worthless for offensive linemen because they can't hit anyway. But I do understand <laughs> I do understand that notion. So, you know, maybe maybe there's a small part of me that feels like they are better off taking a receiver or a linebacker or a corner in the first round that can come in and contribute right away rather than, I mean, if you get Andrew Thomas, is he starting right away? I would like to think he would. I think any player that you pick at eight needs to start right away, but in the grand scheme of things with, with our, with our society right now, they're probably not starting because offensive line, we've seen it Blake so hard to get acclimated in the NFL. DJ Humphreys was a first rounder. Couldn't play his first year. Wasn't ready. So, I get that notion. And again, if you take a third round lineman outside of disaster striking like two years ago with AQ Shipley tearing his ACL, they're not going to play. They're going to learn under Sean Kugler, Cliff Kingsbury, and hopefully they'll be ready a year from now. So I, even if they don't get a lineman at pick eight, which is my preference, I can hold my breath and say, okay, get one on, on day two and I'll be satisfied, Blake. Yeah, the some of it is if you're looking at a multi-year, I mean, you could – uh, I don't think they're going to be trading for a tackle. Certainly they're not going to trade for any type of a Trent Williams that I can foresee um, just because of the cost it'll take of the age. But uh, like we've been talking about, John, the and this is kind of from someone from who's been more on the, yeah, I think that if you took a CD lamb and had 10 years or so of trying to find that next Fitz Bolden and even seeing some of the need that you would have, there could be some success you'd find instantly from being able to start it, plug it in. But if the Cardinals went and CD Lamb's on the board and they took Jedrick Wills, because we're assuming Wirfs and that if they took Wills, I would applaud the Cardinals. First of all, because I think that they didn't take Derek Brown, which we've talked about on this show. We feel like that he's one of those players, and maybe there's some there's, Yeah, exactly. And some of that we've seen a lot of mock drafts that have had him there for Arizona. Um, there's been talk that maybe he's still on the board. Maybe he's not. I know John Gambadoro's had like kind of a yes and no type of philosophy with it. Ultimately, I think that it's pretty much safer to say that a lot of teams are probably going to be looking at more of a sure thing. And even though he's a sure thing, he's not as much of a sure thing as, you know, you'd like to be, uh, as far as for getting to the quarterback, a lot of people are going to disagree, but at least at this point right now, like you said, John, it feels like that he's not in one of those elite defensive player categories. Now, maybe we're totally wrong and that's who the pick is at eight, but if they took Wills. It will show a commitment and dedication to a player who maybe he's not going to get out there and maul players, but 
you watch him on tape, he's a smart player who a lot of times will just beat guys with technique. You'll have times where a player will try and move to the outside. He just uses their leverage against them. Boom, they're on the ground. He didn't necessarily pancake them, but he's just one of those players who is smart, tough, versatile. He would be, I think, a really, really good pick for the Cardinals. And if he is the pick at eight, I'd say, hey, even if you're passing up on a CD Lamb, I would applaud Arizona for going out and being able to add someone who would be a huge boom to their offense. Now, that said, it's kind of like the, well, what they should do probably is do that. What I think that I would feel personally would be, hey, if you put Murray on one side, Hopkins on the other, you're talking about maybe a top five offense in the NFL and sustainability after Larry Fitzgerald leaves to the point where, hey, I'll pay Hopkins and move. You essentially will be able to have a way that you win would be being able to go full air raid, being able to have teams in a lot of different ways, at least if they're going to start not being able to blitz Kyler Murray necessarily, because you've got two wide receivers on the outside who can make those tough contested catches and burn you. That may be a way to win as well. And I think at least for me, being able to have the opportunity of pairing those two, as we've seen how well it worked in college is something that's rare. Like you're, there's going to be a good tackle next year. I don't know if they're going to be as good as Wills. I certainly don't think they'll be as good as Werfs, but we're hoping the Cardinals are picking but it would be one of those places where you essentially would be able to kind of have that new NFL movement. So right now, I do think there is a chance that they still could take CD Lamb. A lot of people are kind of waking up that Steve Kahn today is like, hey, if it makes us better, you know, we look at contracts that are ahead. And that's one of the things that we've heard, John, is that, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's one of the things that we've heard also, John, is that they're probably thinking this is Fitzgerald's last year, or it might be more accurately, they don't want to pay Larry Fitzgerald $11 million to come back next year because they got to sign a contract for DeAndre Hopkins. So you're talking about now having to go into a year where if Christian Kirk can be a wide receiver three, you've got Hopkins obviously as your wide receiver one. You're still going to need to get a second wide receiver in there at some point. Maybe it's a luxury pick that you would have. Maybe it's more of just a, ah, we've got our identity and it's going to be in Kyler throwing the ball up to these two guys. I think that it would be more of the case where it would make the Cardinals intriguing. There'd be so many people who would be like, ooh, for that. And not to say that Lyman is a boring pick, but it would at least show a lot of, I guess you could say, faith in the Cardinals in their line, which is not something that you would be able to probably say. And uh, it would just be, a, it's a, it's more of a rare opportunity you'd have. So that's still my argument I've had for it, but I've come around to the fact that as long as if the Cardinals can end up with, if it is a choice between those two players, and uh, for all we know, they may already have a trade in mind. It may not be that at all. I uh, feel confident enough to say that Wills is probably my favorite of any of the Alabama offensive linemen of the past uh, at least three years, if not more. And I think that he would be one of those spots where if that is the player that is in mind for the Cardinals, they do take him. It's something the Cardinals fans should be able to applaud. Now, if they do take a Derek Brown, I don't think it's the end of the world. I've been able to come around on a lot of that. It just is a spot where I think that the impact you're going to get is not going to be necessarily worth the eighth overall pick. But it's not to say that it's going to be, oh, you just took Nick Kimdichie, you know, at the top eight. Great. That's that's great, guys. It's, it's not going to be that either. Uh, that'll be kind of, I think, what'll wrap it up for us for sure. Any last comments that you have? Next week, we'll be going through our first round mock draft with a little bit of a surprise, hopefully, for you guys. It'll be uh, some fun. We'll be kind of breaking down what we think, what we're hearing, what players are going where. And we'll be breaking it up into two parts. We'll be doing uh, picks 1 through 16 and looking at picks 16 through 32. And, uh, John, before the uh, draft, at least for that one, we're going to be, I think, flipping a coin, whether it's going to be uh, trades or no trades for all of that. 
Uh, I'll probably leave that coin flip at least for that one up to you if you want to go ahead for that right now and see if you want to do trades or not trades. I'm going to flip it right now uh, on my desk. You can't see it. Heads is going to be trades. Tails is going to be no trades. And it is it is heads. So we will have trades. All right. I was going to say, I, was, I, I can't see right now, so John could have just been bluffing the whole time or pulling a two-face and having a double-headed coin, but... <laughs> this is a period of, we have to trust each other now. Uh, yes, yeah, I was going to say, yeah, we have to trust. So, that'll be coming up at least for our next podcast, and then we'll have some other draft day plans that we'll have um, throughout the week that we'll be revealing to you guys as well. Got a lot of great content coming up. Thanks again so much for listening. John, as we head out tonight, can you let the listeners know where to find your content? Yeah, absolutely. I am at Johnny Touchdown on Twitter as well as here on the ROTB podcast. Please, uh, ROTB podcast. I think that's what I said. Uh, please uh, subscribe if you have not already. As you can tell, Blake and I churn out content on a weekly basis, bi-weekly sometimes. Last week we had two pods uh, with the Locked On Cards uh, folks. That was a, a lot of fun doing that with Bo and Clancy. Uh, we're back next week. Uh, you can also find our written content on revengeofthebirds.com. And Blake, what would you like to plug this evening? Well, what I'm going to plug at least is uh, I'm going to have my I'm working on finishing my yearly quarterback project that I have, where I do a statistical analysis and uh, go over some of the film of. Uh, the top seven or eight quarterbacks in the draft every single year and kind of put them into tiers. Uh, this year, I'm optimistic I'll be able to put them all onto the same tier overall to be able to rank, and it'll be interesting. I've already uh, messaged a couple of surprises I've seen already so far from a uh, especially one of the quarterbacks this year that I didn't really expect, so I'll be able to have some of that you can look forward to that'll be dropping on Revenge of the Birds. Uh, make sure you're following us on Twitter at ROTB Pod. We do follow back as well. You can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Spotify. Uh, obviously, we'll be posting on our Twitter account as well. And uh, John, uh, we're hopefully going to be able to have some content at least for that one uh, right after the draft is done as well. Thank you again for listening so much. Take care and stay safe out there, Bird Gang.